This is a Soulfire production. people and black people are great people i really believe that in my heart but i think our system is set up where our politicians whether they're republicans or democrats are designed to make us not like each other so they can keep their grasp of money and power they divide and conquer i truly believe in my heart most white people and black people are awesome people but we're so stupid following our politicians whether they are republicans or democrats and their only job is hey let's make these people not like each other we don't live in their neighborhoods we're all got money let's make the whites and blacks not like like each other let's make rich people and poor people not like each other uh let's let's scramble the middle class i truly believe that in my heart That's Charles Barkley starting off the show better than I could, dropping knowledge bombs. And I love, love, love that that narrative is being uh, put out into the world on such a popular platform. Like, well done, Charles Barkley. Thank you so much for what you do and being who you are. Just stoked for it. Love seeing that. Just love seeing that. Now, this weekend, I took a little time and and, and finished the QAnon documentary series on HBO. And man, that was interesting. That was interesting. Highly recommend it. It gets into the story of the people who run 8chan, 8kun, um, just some weird fucking people. Weird people, but it's been, it, it was it was a trip. It was a trip to listen. And there was a lot of stuff in there that I already knew, but getting the backstory on uh, Ron Watson and, and, and these, these guys who are very likely Q or Q adjacent or in bed with Q and uh, General Flynn and that whole thing and Steve Bannon. Like it was quite an experience. Highly recommend it. You know what else I highly recommend is you getting your sweet ass into the Patreon community. The politically homeless Patreon community is a place for us to feel safe. It's a safe space for free thinkers. And every week we do a crowdsourced episode that is from the Patreon for the Patreon. Check it out. That's patreon.com slash politically homeless. You can find the link in the show notes of this show. I'm assuming some of y'all out there are new. Thanks to my buddy Amir Odom sharing some of my stuff out on the world. His audience has been really great. And if you're one of his one of his followers that found their way to me, I appreciate that. We've got a lot to talk about today. We're talking about Matt Gates, Georgia voting laws. Uh, Trump has to refund some money for being Trump. Uh, vaccine passports being banned in Texas. Dan Crenshaw on Joe Rogan's experience. And we're even going to talk a little bit about sperm and dicks. Yeah, we're going there. And I've got a crazy conspiracy theory from the left, actually. Alex Jones level conspiracy theory. And that's going down and something to think about and just putting it out there, just floating it. You don't hear very many conspiracy theories about conservatives or Republicans um, very often. So I wanted to share that with y'all because I, and, and this, the, the way I came upon this conspiracy theory 
um, was pretty interesting as well. So we'll get into that and something to think about. But we've got a lot going on this week. A lot of things floating around that we're not going to necessarily cover. Amazon had to um, <laughs> had to uh, apologize for saying that its workers do not pee in bottles when very clearly their workers pee in bottles regularly, which was funny that they had to admit that. That was a whole thing. And it's been uh, interesting to see as well that there's a bit of Trump exhaustion uh, in the world. We're seeing Google searches for Trump to actually going back to his pre-2016 uh, campaign numbers. So I think you're seeing the beginnings of this, like this just exhaustion with Trumpism and Trump in general, uh, which is one of the reasons that I was really glad he didn't win, even though we've got this whole, I mean, there's a lot of downside to that as well, but, but it's just the exhaustion of dealing with Trump and Trump just needing to be in the news all of the time. Now, I want to thank Sean and Raquel, especially. This one goes out to you guys. This episode is is dedicated to Sean and Raquel for joining the Patreon community. I really appreciate that. I'm all over the place in the intro today, and I think that's because I thought I had COVID yesterday. I thought I had fucking COVID yesterday. I was coughing. I felt like shit. I was like, man, I got it. I got the, I got the COVID. It's happening. And I was kind of relieved. Actually, I was like, let's just get this thing over with. Um, I'll still record podcasts, even though I may be a little loopy um, with my flu-like, cold-like symptoms. But it turns out I just felt like shit. I don't know what was going on. I feel better today. And I'm, I'm actually abnormally hyped, probably because I slept like over 10 hours last night. But I was run down and feeling real weird. But we're back and we're doing the work and I'm excited to get into it with y'all. It's a good time. Make sure if you love this podcast to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, five stars. And if you leave a question there, leave your five-star review, drop a question in there, I will start reading those in the uh, beginning of these shows. So if you leave your question, something you want something you want me to, to talk about, even a topic, whatever it is, um, we'll get into that. Just make sure that's in your review. Make sure it's five stars. And make sure it's on Apple Podcasts so I can see it. All right, well, that's enough of that. Let's get into the show. It's time for the state of things. We've got a lot to cover today. We're going to try and move fast, but... I've got a good feeling about it. Could be a juicy one. Let's do it. Okay, okay. Matt Gates is um Dealing with a lot of shit right now. <laughs> Matt Gates is in hot water. Um, we've got this article from uh, the New York Post. Orgies, blackmail, extortion, and Iran hostages. The crazy claims against representative of Florida, Matt Gates. Okay. An alleged orgy with prostitutes, accusations of sex with an underage girl, a trophy photo of a woman wearing only a hula hoop, and a convoluted extortion plot involving a likely dead American hostage in Iran. Even by Florida standards, the Matt Gates saga is downright bizarre, and it very much is. So what you're seeing here is this, this, this guy is under investigation for allegedly sleeping with a 17-year-old uh, girl and paying for her uh, flights and hotel rooms and things like that to cross state lines, which would classify it as uh, underage sex trafficking. There's also accusations that he's got a like photos in a what they called a uh, sex orgy with underage prostitutes. There's a lot of stuff going on here as far as what's happening with Matt Gates, um, and he's in. It's very like 
House of Cards mixed with Animal House type of situation here. It's like frat bullshit with really deep uh, political malfeasance. It, it, this is this is odd, and it's hard for me to believe that Matt Gates that that his political career isn't just over at this point. Like I don't know how you recover from this, even if you didn't, you know, tr- sex traffic uh, underage girl. Well the other things that were going on, right? He was paying for, it seems like he allegedly he was paying for prostitutes on the cash app, um, which is probably not the best move to have a public transaction out there. There's some text messages out there floating around saying, you know, meet me at this hotel. I can give you a thousand dollars cash, yada, yada, yada. Like the dude liked hookers apparently, which understandably like DC has the highest population of, of hookers concentrated in one area. Um, so that doesn't really make that much of a of a splash as far as a politician a politician uh, liking prostitutes like that's that's pretty standard stuff. Um, I don't think it's that big of a stretch to think that politicians like young girls either. Um, but we're in this situation now where this is just so convoluted and so serious. So if we continue in this article, it says most seriously, he is being investigated by the justice department for allegedly having sex with a 17 year old girl and paying for her to travel with him across state lines. Um, Gates denies the allegations. Then on Thursday, CNN alleged that he had shown fellow law- lawmakers nude photos of women. He said he'd sleep with, including one photograph uh, wearing a hula hoop and nothing else that was happening on the, um, the house floor. So he was in the Capitol showing naked pictures. That's something that happens. Like I've been, I was in a fraternity in college, right? At our uh, frat meetings, that kind of stuff was, was normal, right? That's like frat humor, dumb shit. I always thought it was kind of scummy, but it happens nonetheless. I don't know if you bring that, that to uh, the house of representatives. I think that maybe there's a line that's crossed there, um, but it is kind of a good old boy society in a lot of ways. So not necessarily surprised and doesn't really, um, it just doesn't really throw me off at all thinking of Matt Gates doing that. And he's kind of an attention whore, right? Like Matt Gates would put out press releases whenever Trump would say something nice about him as if that was news. So we had the situation where he was a sycophant for Trump. He was just so on board and used that to kind of ride Trump's coattails into popularity. And now this is coming out. And then we have this article from Politico showing that Trump and his allies just completely abandoned Gates. Like they just said, like no one has come to his defense. No one from the Trump team. And as, as such a, he was such a bootlicker for Trump. It's hard to see that Trump's just like leaving him out to dry here. Cause he's got this, this situation where one of his good friends who he's known to have been really close to is already indicted and, 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 um, He's indicted on, on sex trafficking charges. He was a tax collector that ran fake IDs, um, and he was using those fake IDs to get underage girls' IDs to get with Gates, and there was this, it was this whole thing. And like I said, Animal House plus House of Cards, and you have this Matt Gates scandal. It's hard to see his political career going anywhere after this. Anywhere. And this is one of the things. I mean, you you see these people out here that, that continuously virtue signal to the right, and then you find out that at the end of the day, they're just normal people, right? Just a normal, powerful white dude who likes young women. And I, I can't, the way he conducted himself on the Tucker Carlson show, the way that he's just conducted himself in general, like he seems like a typical frat bro who hasn't grown up yet. 
And given that his father was a politician and a very wealthy man, that's who they're trying to extort the money from, uh, allegedly, to get this thing to go away. Um, again, we have an, a prisoner in Iran. Like, this whole extortion plot, which is very complicated and probably also true because American politics are dirty like that, um, this guy's deeply ingrained in the swamp of, of politics, you know? And, and he is a young man, a philanderer, like, whatever, I get it, you know? But at the same time, was not cautious at all in the way that he conducted himself. And that, I think, is where he got himself in serious, serious trouble. I mean, you just can't be showing nudes on the House floor. That's just not not the move, bro. That's not the move. And to see this all come to light and knowing that if even if 80% of it is true, even if 50% of it is true, he's fucked completely. And that's a weird place to, that's a weird thing to see especially as somebody who was young and I'm sure was a presidential hopeful in the next 20 years or so. Interesting to see this all play out. I don't know what to even say. I wanted to cover this and kind of, and just talk about it a little bit, but there is so much there. And of course he denies all allegations. It's been so weird to see and try and keep up with. I'm going to keep my eye on this just to see where it goes from here. But it's hard to believe that he won't um, under be, while he's under investigation, depending on what they have and the way that he's kind of acted like a creep. I mean, there was one voicemail that they, him and his tax collector friend who is now in, in jail under uh, child sex trafficking um, charges, uh, they had called a, a Democratic congresswoman from Florida and were like being really creepy with her and her voicemail. Like there's so much stuff here. And Matt Gates just really fucked himself over. Like, this is 100% on him acting like a child. You know what I mean? And these, these are people that we see as, as leaders, apparently, um, within our politics. And to see him not take it seriously, and that's one of the biggest, the biggest things people have said about him, is that he's clearly just an unserious person. I'm a pretty unserious person. But I know that if I was in the House of Representatives and representing a, a part of my population of my state, I would conduct myself a little bit differently, right? You gotta be able to change tunes. You can't just be an unserious asshole, but if you can't, if you grow up in a rich family and you kind of get out of trouble, and he's been in quite a bit of trouble in his past, um, and you don't really have consequences, you end up being an immature dickhead. And that seems to be exactly where Matt Gates is. So to see him, you know, fall from grace, if you will, um, and I'm sure some of this has to do with the fact that he was a, a a really outspoken Trump supporter and even backed things like stop the steal and things like that. Um, you know, it's sad to see a conservative that is pro marijuana legalization be, be taken out of the house of representatives. I think we need more and more of those on the conservative side of things to keep the ball rolling there. But what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And you, and you do have, I mean, this isn't going to tarnish Florida's reputation because Ron DeSantis, as we're going to talk about later in the show has done pretty well as far as maintaining a positive reputation and even just fended off an intense attack by CNN or by 60 minutes, excuse me, um, where they had, had essentially just lied about what he had said and edited the clip to make it seem like he said something he didn't say and changed the context. And it was very transparent. Like Florida's reputation, the stock in Florida has gone up big time. I don't think this hurts that, but at the same time, I do think Florida just logically is a hub for sex trafficking. So we've got to keep this all in mind and look at what we have here. So this Matt Gates situation, going to keep an eye on it. 
I don't know what's going on as far as like the actual details. No one does. There's a lot of people in mainstream media that are just trying to use this as a smear, which is fine. Um, that's going to happen on both sides. If this was a Democrat, it would be the same thing coming from the right. And we have to expect that. Let's keep our heads together here, but I just do not see this going well for him. And I don't see a future for him in politics, given all this stuff. He said he's never paid for sex. That would surprise me if this guy has never paid for sex. I know a lot of people that pay for sex, not me, but other people that you wouldn't expect have paid for sex. And I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think prostitution should be legal and regulated. Um, but you see this happening. And if a girl lied about her age and said she was 20 and he was dating a college student while he was in Congress, like those things aren't that big of a stretch. You know, she could have said something, had a fake ID, whatever, especially if his buddy was running fake IDs and uh, was a tax collector, which is just a very odd situation to be in. But it seems like this stuff isn't that far. It's not a big stretch to believe these things. So we'll see how it goes. Matt Gates is in hot water. I don't see his political career going anywhere, uh, especially anywhere higher than Congress. I don't see him becoming a senator. I definitely don't see him becoming a president or vice president given his background and what this kind of adds on to and piles on to his already existing issues. But we'll see. I'm curious to see how this all shakes out. And like I said, we're going to keep an eye on it. Georgia, Georgia has got new election laws and the Major League Baseball fam is not stoked on them. All right, Georgia has enacted some new election laws that are very controversial and Major League Baseball took a stand by moving the All-Star game and the draft out of Atlanta. So we're going to break that down for you real quick here. Five big takeaways from Georgia's new election law. All right, so we're going to move down. Let's see My here. commitment to the people of our state is simple. I will not back down. The truth is, ensuring the integrity of the ballot box isn't partisan. It's about protecting the very foundation of who we are as Georgians and Americans. All right, saying not much there at all. It's the uh, Georgia governor. Um, just a bunch of platitudes. So we're going to break down kind of what's in this over the surface, see what makes sense, see what doesn't make sense, and then discuss kind of how, how Major League Baseball got involved in this, which I find very odd. So it creates voter ID requirements for absentee voting. Uh, Democrats took advantage of Georgia's no excuse absentee voting policy in the 2020 general election and January Senate runoffs, utilizing a method of voting that has long been favored by Republicans. The new election law, however, looks to tighten the rules for absentee voting by requiring voters to provide a driver's license or state ID card number to request or submit their absentee ballot. Previously, election workers relied on a signature matching process to verify absentee ballots that involved comparing a voter's signature on a ballot to the signature on file for that individual. I always think I've always thought that that system is trash. Like that doesn't make it seems like it would. And it says here, like it throws out good votes, bad votes. When you think about how you sign your signature on that little pad um, at the driver's license office, like that signature never looks like my actual signature because I'm not using a pen or a pencil. I'm using a little thing that slides on a whatever electric magnetic thing. Like those don't ever add up. They don't ever look the same. So to think that that's your, that's your system for validating ballots is kind of odd. I think that we have a weird situation here where now you have to jump through hoops to get an absentee ballot 
when I really enjoyed getting my ballot sent to my house without me having to do anything, even though I considered voting in person, it was nice to have the ballot at home so I could do my research. So I think this is actually a really bad idea as far as it comes to sending out absentee ballots. But I do think that there's a place for using ID or the last four digits of a social security number to submit your ballot. So I don't think there's a big issue with a bunch of ballots being out there necessarily, but the submission of those ballots um, should require some kind of identification uh, verification, in my opinion. And we're going to talk about that as, as we get through these. So it limits the use of ballot drop boxes. Georgia began allowing the use of ballot drop boxes last year in response to the coronavirus pandemic. And while the new law will allow for them to be remain a permanent fixtures of the state's election process, it also looks to curtail their use. Under the law, ballot drop boxes will have been locate will be located in early voting locations and can be accessible when those polling sites are open. What's more, those drop boxes won't be available in the last four days of an election, which I find really strange. When drop boxes become particularly useful because of potential postage delays that could cause the ballots to arrive late to election offices. The law mandates at least one drop box per county, but also limits additional drop boxes to either one per 100,000 registered voters or one per voting location, whichever is fewer. So we have this, again, situation where the ballot drop boxes were used. I actually used a ballot drop box. I didn't mail mine in. I felt it was more secure to go drop it in a drop box. Um, but even that felt a little sketch to me because, there, again, there was no ID verification. We do have the signature match verification here in Colorado, but still the whole thing kind of seemed iffy to me. Um, going on, it says it gives state state lawmakers sweeping control over elections. So what this basically does is takes the state legislature makes it um, kind of responsible for which ballots are considered valid and not valid, which is a hard shift, right? Because of, and you're seeing this as a, it's a clear response to um, the both Senate seats being lost in the, in the Georgia runoff. They're changing the way the whole runoff system works. So this is clearly a response by conservatives to shift the voting situation in Georgia in their favor. Let, let, let's not pretend that's not what it is. I know I'm sure there's a lot of uh, political commentators out there saying that it, it's more about election integrity, but voter suppression is very much a conservative playbook, just like getting people who are ineligible, ineligible to vote, um, whether they be immigrants or, or whatever, uh, or that that's a tool of the Democrats, right? So you got to think about it that way. They're both Ill illegitimate and they're both unfair, but they're unfair in very different ways. And it's hard to say which one is more democratic because they're both pretty anti-democratic, right? You're not taking the, the rights of your citizens seriously if you're a Democrat um, wanting illegal immigrants to vote, and you're not taking the rights of your citizens seriously if you want to suppress voting from American citizens. So both sides are fucked. So let's just keep that in mind. So it shortens the time frame for runoff elections and ends the jungle primary system for special elections. So what that means, well, let's just get into what they have to say. In a move that appears to be thinly veiled response to the GOP's joint losses in the two January 5th Senate runoffs, the new election law in Georgia looks to get rid of the all-party primary system, also called jungle primaries, for special elections while shortening the runoff election time frame by five weeks. So what's basically going on there is that they felt that the conservatives couldn't um, run attack ads on the Democrats because they were having to fight against in, fight primary challengers in that primary of the runoff. So it was a whole thing there. What they're basically doing is they want the any conservative likely nominee to be able to focus their energy on the opposition, not have to be distracted by uh, other primary contenders. And so they're limiting the amount of that, which I think is 
somewhat anti-democratic, but it is what it is. It expands weekend early voting, but cuts short the deadline for request of absentee ballots. So it does open up some weekend early voting, but it does shut your window from uh, 11 days before. So it was 11 days before the election that you could request an absentee ballot. Um, or no, excuse me, it was four days that you could request an absentee ballot. Now it's 11 days. So it cuts it off later, but you do have early weekend voting. Now, overall, let's just talk about what I, what my kind of thoughts here on this whole thing. Overall, there's a mix of good and bad here. I think some type of voter ID situation is necessary. That being said, it should be pretty liberal in my opinion. I think that the last four digits of a social or an ID, um, is, could be really helpful. And one of the things that I really crossed my mind when I think about these voter uh, ID laws and things like that and drop boxes is that we, we seem to be running a system that was born in like, it's like the windows 98 of election software. That's what it feels like to me. I feel like dropping it off at a Dropbox, All of these things are so old school and just not really, it's so inefficient when, and when I thought about it, I was thinking about all of those, remember those red boxes that you could find at a Walgreens or a grocery store and you could like rent DVDs, right? You would just swipe your card and get your DVD and then return it a couple days later or whatever. I think about that and I'm like, why don't we have those as voting drop boxes, right? You put your ballot, you get your ballot done, you verify your signature, whatever it is. You put your last four digits of your social on there. You slide it into the, the red box looking drop box. You can make it look like an American flag or something. And then you scan your ID or whatever order that is, scan your ID, put in your ID number, whatever that, that is for you, slide your ballot in, boom, your identity is confirmed. You can't submit if you don't have the requirements. And then they take those and they count them. And that just makes it so much simpler. Why don't we do that? Why don't we have a system like that? That does not seem that complicated. There's shit tons of red boxes that aren't being used. Just co-op those things, right? Like this isn't, we can build the most advanced military hardware on the planet regularly and spend trillions of dollars doing it, but we have we still have the equivalent of a trash can that you dump your fucking your, that you dump dump your your ballot in. That's a little bit odd to me. It's a little bit odd. Doesn't make a ton of sense. And in this situation, I think there's a lot we could do a lot better. We could just do a lot better. But they go so far. And even in this Georgia law, you can't pass out water um, it, for in, in line if you are not a staffer of the polling place. I'm like, who the fuck cares? And that seems very targeted toward, towards black communities and black churches that would um, have these kind of events around voting. Um, and, of course, those are going to lean hard left. Of course they are. But at the same time, there's nothing that was stopping conservatives from doing the same thing. So this whole situation is very odd to me. And, and they, they just like general politics, they just lump in a bunch of bullshit with some stuff that's actually valid. And I, I hate when this happens because it, you have to take a take a pro or against, you know, kind of stance on this. But at the end of the day, it's both, right? It's, it's very gray. And it can't be looked at as black and white, like good or bad. There, there's good things in here. There's shitty things in here. And we have to be honest about that. Like, are people that are wearing, you know, Democrat or Republican shirts passing out water when you're waiting for six hours to vote? I don't think that fucking matters. Like, is that going to sway your vote because someone with a, with a Trump shirt or a Biden shirt gave you a bottle of water? Like, is that really going to change your opinion on who you're going to vote for? And if it does, that means you're not that convicted to who you're voting for anyway. So, like, does it really matter? Like, that that's a vote that's going to go based on what? A bottle of water? Like, I don't foresee that being the case. So, it, it seems like there's some bullshit in here. 
but the voter ID situation is something that, you know, it's being called racist and, and I still haven't found an argument for it being uh, racist or classist that really makes sense. I think that polling places in their locations and access to ballots and and submitting votes, um, whether they be mail in or whatever. I think doing that, we could do that and have voter ID. I think that's a nice balance. I think it's a great balance to have voter ID laws and universal mail-in ballots. It's so nice to take your ballot, open it up, open up your laptop, right? If you have access to internet, which is a whole different issue, um, and research what you're voting for, right? Fill it, like look up the different propositions. They don't do a very good job of explaining that in the ballots. You can watch a YouTube video about it. You can maybe, you know, maybe I've talked about something. You want to go find it on YouTube. Like you can do that, all of that with those ballots and, and have them right in front of your face versus having to make judgments on propositions that you're not familiar with, which are actually very important for your local community, Right. So looking at the pros and cons of different propositions, not just your presidential candidate. And I think we get so focused on the presidential candidate and, and, and Senate and, and um, Congress or just Congress congressional candidates in general that we forget about the local propositions and what those mean for our lives and how oftentimes those are much more important to our daily lives than who is in the White House or what party is running the show. But limiting mail-in ballots and, and, and making it this kind of like these hoops to jump through to even get a ballot sent to your house where you can do a little bit of research and be more responsible in the way you vote. I think that's a problem. So I, I would really prefer, you know, a situation where we do have universal mailed app out ballots and maybe you just do your research using that ballot and go vote in person, which is great. That's probably what I'll do um, in, the, in, in the midterms and in the next election. But having that at home and having the opportunity to not have to go wait in line, right? I'm going to fill it out. I'm going to, I'm going to verify my identification. I'm going to go drop it off somewhere. And my ID might be verified when I drop it off. I think that's probably a good idea, but why limit the number of people that are voting, especially if they're just wanting to be more informed about what they're voting for. And I think that's an, a primarily important part of a democracy. Right. And if you're thinking if, if what just jumped into your head is that this is a republic, not a democracy, like, please shut the fuck up. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a whole other conversation. Uh, it's a democratic republic. Democracy is a, is is vital within a republic anyways. So like, I don't want to hear that. I, that argument drives me up the fucking wall. Um, but that being said, I think there's a nice middle ground here. I don't think Georgia is going to be representative of any middle ground ever. That's just not what they do. But they get their asses handed to them because of their allegiances. And, you know, maybe they should run better candidates if, if they want conservatives to win. You know, that's what I think about conservatives. Like, well, maybe you should run on, on policy that is popular. Maybe you should win a popular vote um, since the last time you did was in the Reagan era. So just keep that in mind as far as what, what conservatives are generally crying about. And aside from the voting situation that we have here, let's just keep in mind that we also have Major League Baseball moving the All-Star game and the draft from Atlanta, uh, moving the All-Star game here to Colorado, and it'll be at Coors Stadium, which is just down the road from my house, which is kind of cool. But at the end of the day, I, I just have there's very few things I want to say about what Major League Baseball is doing, but I don't understand how this massive virtue signal is productive at all. Because the people that this is actually hurting are the people who work in the stadium, which are working class people that work their asses off in an industry that has been absolutely crushed, crushed 
over the pandemic. So we have a situation here where they, they need to like have this big kind of leftist virtue signal to move it to Colorado, which actually has similar voting laws to what uh, Georgia just enacted. So there's not that much of a bigger, uh, there's not a very big difference in the way that they're conducting themselves, but it, it's all for naught. And the only people that were damaged in that situation were Atlanta citizens. Like that, that, that didn't do anything. To, like, what does that have to do with anything? Like, are, are they going to think that that's going to sway voting uh, away from Republicans down the road because they moved the all-star game? I, I think that it's very counterproductive. And you see the situation here with Major League Baseball moving uh, this all-star game. I think it's idiotic. I don't think it's the place of, of industries and organizations like the MLB or the NBA. Uh, and the NBA kind of led the way with, with their social initiatives. And I don't mind that too much, but when it becomes an economic, when it economically impacts working class people, that's when it drives me fucking nuts. And that I feel like that's exactly what's going on here. So a lot of noise out of Georgia, Georgia has been very contentious. It will continue to be contentious. And now you have big business, um, making their voices heard in politics. And that's the thing, like the culture war is politics. Now they used to be somewhat separate and now they fully merged into this culture war politics shitstorm that we're having to deal with on, on, on a daily basis and everything from Jemima to Major League Baseball are getting uh, getting their voices heard when it comes to this, and it's only further dividing us. And that's what I I feel like Major League Baseball should bring people together, right? Major League Baseball, if you want to go to a game in any major sport, right? If you want to go to a game, it should be a reprieve from this bullshit, right? Maybe you want to go to a game and not have to worry about uh, Black Lives Matter or voting laws or you know abortion, like all of these things. <laughs> That's not why you go to a football game or a baseball game or a basketball game or a soccer game if you get into that sport for whatever reason. Um, it, it, we need to understand that there are certain parts of our society that should remain apolitical because they're reprieve from the bullshit we deal with on a daily basis. You want to drink beer, you want to put a jersey on, you want to go out, you want to maybe grab a foul ball, you want to have a good time with your kids, and you don't want to have to explain social sociopolitical issues at a fucking baseball game. And to me, I'm just like, why? Why do you need to have a say in this? Is this something that you're, you're focused on? What is, what is the benefit of doing this? It doesn't do anything besides maybe garner you some decent PR from channels that your audience doesn't even watch, like MSNBC. So we've got this thing here, and I'm sure like people like Brian Stelter, that eggheaded fuck, is gonna like they're gonna worship them for this. But the consequences are really doled out to the fans and the workers, and that's not necessarily fair. And that doesn't really that doesn't that doesn't impact the people in the skyboxes. It impacts the people in the nosebleed seats, and that why that's kind of why I think this is fucking ridiculous and and has no place. Like let these let these games let these sports be a reprieve from the bullshit everybody has to deal with in their daily life, and and just just keep it down, right? Everybody's rich. All of you guys are rich. You're all getting paid. But there's industries that are surrounding your industry that are actually very substantial and provide a quality of life for people that really need it. And right now you're fucking them over so that you can show everybody how fucking woke you are. The Trump campaign reportedly forced to refund more than $122 million to donors. Now, this is some sketchy-ass Trumpian shit right here. This is insane. So let's go on. Former Fed... 
Former President Donald Trump, Trump's re-election campaign issued a staggering sum of $122.7 million in refunds to its supporters in 2020, giving back nearly 11% of the money it raised. According to an, exec- an investigative report published by the New York Times on Saturday, based on an, an, an analysis of uh, Federal Election Commission filings. So, here's what went down, Okay. Trump was money hungry there in his campaign. He was um, sending tons of emails, just blasting emails. And I wasn't on the email list, but I saw many of these emails. They were all over the place. This guy was hammering it. And what they did was they added these two boxes here at the end. Okay, so this one says, this is the final month until election day. We need every patriot stepping up if we're going to win four more years for President Trump. He's revitalizing our economy, restoring law and order, and returning to the U.S., returning us to American greatness. But he's not done yet. This is your chance. Stand with President Trump and maximize your impact now. And at the very bottom in the fine print, it says, make this a weekly donation recurring until 11-3. And this is pre-checked. So if you don't read this whole thing and uncheck it, then you would be billed weekly until the election was over. Uh, President Trump, October 9th marks 20, um, 25 days out from the election day. We need your support. American patriots like you inspire me to keep fighting this past week. I'm not done yet. I'm asking for you to join Operation MAGA. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's stupid. Uh, MAGA and help be secure victory in November. Join the movement now. And then in the fine print, it says donate an additional $100 automatically on 10 9. Holy shit, this is sketchy. This is some of the sketchiest shit I've ever seen. And we had credit card processors saying that Trump uh, Trump campaign fraud uh, claims made up 3% of their fraud claims. And if you know how many fraud claims happen on a daily basis, that's a lot of fraud claims. I mean, 11% of the money they raised had to be refunded because they were scamming people out of money. Now, there's one story in here that's really particularly egregious. This man who had cancer, was a diehard um, Trump supporter, and he donated everything he could, even though he was going through cancer treatments. He donated $500, okay? And he didn't uncheck the boxes, didn't read the frying print, and continued to be to be drafted that $500 weekly until his bank account ran out of money and his account was locked and he could not pay his bills. So that only ended up being $3,000, excuse me. So he, he, had un, he had donated $500, and then they continued to charge him until it drained his bank account, which only had $3,000. So think about that. This guy, is a, he, he's got cancer. He's got advanced cancer. He wants to support Donald Trump. He gives him everything he can. So he gives him $500 when he has about $3,000 in his account. And they just drain this motherfucker dry, lock him out of his account, and he can't pay his bills. That's egregious. Like, and this is one of the things like we can, we can talk about Trump's policies all day and what was good and what was bad, but this is shady ass Trump university shit. This is the same kind of shit that we knew about Donald Trump. And this is one of those things you, you can't argue and say, Oh, this is just a, it's a mistake. Like this was clearly done. This is fucking fraud. This is fraud. This is like the, on a, a much larger scale, but, but like put not putting an unsubscribe uh, box on your email, on your marketing emails. That's a courteous thing to do. It's something that should be done. And it's poor ethics if you don't do that. 
And what they did was by pre-checking these boxes and making the actual call to action within the box very small at the bottom and after a bunch of other fucking bullshit they were shoving down your throat that didn't make any sense and making the checkboxes tiny, if you look at that, it's, it's shady. It's so sketch. And to think that people admired this man. Like, to think that people admired this guy, and, and I look at my family who were Trump supporters, and they all thought he was a fucking douche. But they're conservatives, and it was the best option they had. And you see that all the time. You see that so often. Like, my granddad, who's a diehard conservative, is like, yeah, the guy's a fucking idiot. He would say that to me all the time. The guy's an idiot. And then when the whole stop the steal thing happened and all that, my granddad was like, holy shit, this guy might have uh, a cognitive issues. Like, this is absolutely insane. And when the riots happened on January 6th, like, I think it pretty much scarred him as far as supporting the Republican Party. Because the kingmaker of the Republican Party is so money thirsty that he will scam his own followers. He will scam his supporters to get more money. And a lot of that money... It was discretionary, so he could do whatever he wanted with it. He could go play golf. He could do whatever the fuck he needed to do. Of course, he doesn't pay for golf because he has a golf course and he's a former president. But it was used to do whatever the fuck he wanted to do. He's a fucking scumbag. Like, I don't understand. Like, you can think he was a decent president. You can do whatever. But the dude does not live in any kind of integrity that we understand. And I know a lot of my conservative followers understand, uh, uh, will disagree with that, and I understand that as well. And I, I respect your opinion and your views. I'm speaking for myself here saying, like, this kind of stuff, as a person who owns a business and runs a business, this is the kind of stuff that bars you from having a quality reputation. And when you look at this situation, you look at how many people he's fucking uh, d- d- neglected to pay in the past, his history of bankruptcies, the way he's treated his employees, this is par for the course for Donald Trump. And this is one of the reasons that I just can't respect the motherfucker. Like, I just can't do it. There's no part of me that, like, it'd be nice if, like, we had somebody up in here, uh, you know, standing up against vaccine passports. I'd love that. But I would like it to be a person of integrity and doing it not to placate their supporters, but because it's something they actually believe in. And it seems like to ask for that in American politics now is so unrealistic and really depressing. But this is an embarrassment. Like, this is the president of the, or the former president of the United States scamming people out of money as if he's like some Nigerian prince in your email. Like super, super fucked up. And I just don't know how people can how people can support this guy or respect this guy now when this isn't an outlandish thing for him to do. When I found out about this, I wasn't like, oh, I'm surprised that Trump would do that. Like it was like, oh, that's a, that's a Trumpian thing to do. Like that's Trumpian economics is just steal money. <laughs> from people that support you in the same way he did with Trump University and conned people out of it. The motherfucker is a con man. Like, I understand people that want his type of ideology in the White House. You can probably get that with with somebody who's not a con man. So this is important to talk about. It's important to see. And it's it's important time for people who support Trump to really reflect on why they do and why they respect the guy. Because if you support somebody you don't respect, what does that say about you? Like, what does that say about you? And I understand why people voted for him, even, even believing that he was kind of a douche. Right? Like, that's not a surprise to me. But don't delude yourself into thinking that this man operates from integrity. Like I, I get it, and I don't think all Trump voters are bad or racist or any of that shit. I'm not. You, everybody knows that about me. I'm not. I, I, I speak out very. Um, I speak very loudly about that being an obnoxious position to take. But let's not pretend that Donald Trump is not a con man. Like let's let's, let's just not delude ourselves into thinking that. 
Let's keep it policy based if you're gonna if you're gonna support the guy. But I would be really hesitant to encourage anybody to have respect for somebody who would do this to people who trust the man and support the man. Texas Governor Greg Abbott issues order prohibiting vaccine passports. Let's check this out. Again, proud of my home state here and proud of Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis for standing up and passing executive orders to bar these bullshit vaccine passports from being used widely. So Texas Governor Greg Abbott on Monday issued an executive order prohibiting so-called vaccine passports, saying a system to track those who have been inoculated against COVID-19 infringes on citizens' rights, a very pragmatic stance. Every day, Texas are returning... Texans are returning to normal life as more and more people get the safe and effective COVID-19 vaccine. But all, but as I've said all along, these vaccines are always voluntary and never forced, Abbott said in an announcement of the executive order. Government should not require any Texan to show proof of vaccination and reveal private health information just to go about the day, their daily lives, he added. This is why I've issued an executive order to, that prohibits government-mandated vaccine passports in Texas. We will continue to vaccinate more Texans and protect public health, and we will do so without treading on Texans' personal freedoms. As, uh, says Abbott has come under heat, yada, yada, yada. And then Ron DeSantis says we will always... We always said we wanted to provide it for all, but mandate it for none. That's what Ron DeSantis DeSantis, Ron DeSantis, God, blowing his name today. Anyways, so we've got this. And one thing I want to highlight here is it says um, it prohibits government-mandated vaccine passports. It doesn't seem like they're going to regulate the private sector and keep the private sector from applying uh, these vaccine passports to their businesses. And that's where I think it actually gets more sketch. If the government was doing it, that's one problem. If the private sector is doing it, that's a completely different problem. Because we you have these kind of libertarian-leaning people in Texas, and it's a very libertarian-ish state, a very don't-tread-on-me state, uh, where businesses are, are, able to be able to, are able to do pretty much whatever they want as long as they're not, um, you know, infringing too badly on other people's health, wellness, whatever. So with all of that, we're looking at this and saying, okay, well, the government's not going to issue them. That's fine. And I don't think in, in Biden, the Biden White House had backed off the kind of government um, vaccine passport thing after the backlash, which is a good move. We'll see if they're really working on it behind the scenes. That's yet to be understood. But Allowing private businesses. This is where the government. This is where government regulation becomes very important, and we're going to talk about that kind of through the remainder of the show here. But this is where government regulation becomes very important, and government needs to flex and say no. Like for you to require vaccine passports to get into a concert venue or a club or a bar or a restaurant, like that's an infringement on rights. If the government it can't do it in that situation, then private businesses shouldn't be able to either. And there's going to be, this is what this is doing too with this vaccine passport thing rolling around is it's going to further silo people. It's going to further silo people. Like Texas is going to become very much a Texas thing. And we're going to almost end up in this kind of broken nation as if we haven't already where, okay, if you want to avoid uh, vaccine passports, if you don't want to get the vaccine and you have, if you don't believe this, I think you need to reevaluate yourself. There are very valid reasons to deny getting the vaccine. Right, there are very valid reasons not to trust pharmaceutical companies. There are valid reasons not to trust the government. There are valid reasons not to t- not to trust big banks or many of our primary institutions. And they haven't really done anything to re-earn that trust that they've lost based on their actions. And with that being said, the burden of of trusting them now falls on the American people. It's like, well, if you don't trust our institutions, that's something that's wrong with you or your conspiracy theorist or whatever. 
But these these institutions haven't done anything to right the wrongs that they've done in the past, right? What they've done is now enact legislation and regulation that protects them when they do do things that are fucked up. And then that, that's supposed to make us trust them more. Like if, if your vaccine is that safe, then why do you need a liability shield? Doesn't really make sense, right? Doesn't really make sense at all to me. And that was, the, that was the nail in the coffin when it came to me in the vaccine. It was like, oh, well, they have a liability shield. And if something does go wrong, I have no uh, recourse for action. Well, then fuck them. I just won't take it. I'll be fine. You know, that, that was really, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Like, I probably wasn't going to already. But as soon as I heard that, I was like, absolutely not. Because I don't want businesses not to be held accountable for their fuck-ups. And that goes for oil and gas. That goes for pharma. It goes for banks. And we have a situation here where those are those are the golden gooses, right? Those are the prize pigs of our society. And if we don't trust them, even though they have all the leverage and all the protection and all the bias from the government, if we don't trust them, something's wrong with us? How does that make any goddamn sense? Right? So I'm proud of Texas for doing this. I'm proud of Florida for doing this. And I think what is going to happen is you're going to see more and more states because Texas is Texas and Florida are the most relevant when it comes to making these kind of actions. It was very clear they were going to do this. I think they'll even, if, if vaccine passports become a thing in private industry, I think that they're going to actually outlaw that. And I think that is a, I think it's a HIPAA violation because we do have, there are many valid reasons not to take a vaccine and looking at that whole situation, there are also very many valid reasons to take the vaccine. I'm not going to say that there's, if you have type 1 diabetes or pre-existing conditions, like it's probably the safer bet for you. But for many of us, that's not the case. And for us to be barred from living our lives as normal is, is discrimination based on beliefs. And these beliefs are just as valid. I would say there's, there's, there's more evidence to back up not trusting the vaccine than there is evidence to be a Christian. Okay. Let's look at actual tangible evidence and you can't persecute someone based on their beliefs, right? So let's keep all of that in mind. You can't discriminate against someone based on their beliefs, especially when that belief, those beliefs are backed by fucking evidence and history. So we got to keep this all in mind. And there is a Liberty piece here that is very important. And this is something that I've put my, I've, I've dug my heels in on, Like this is something that it, it freaks me the fuck out. I don't really want a vaccine wallet on my phone that has my health history on it, where people can make decisions based upon my health history, even though it's pretty good. I don't want them to be able to make decisions on what I have access to based upon what I decide to do with my body. And that, to me, is a slippery fucking slope that we got to be really mindful of. And looking at a state like Texas taking a stand, and I hope it only gets more aggressive from here, is, it gives me some hope. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Elemental Labs. They are the creators of Element, the best hydration beverage mix that you will ever find in your whole world ever developed by the OG of paleo himself, Rob Wolf. This guy has single-handedly impacted my health and wellness in so many ways, and I want him to get inside of you. I mean, his I want his I want his supplements inside of inside of you to be to become a part of you and your hydration uh, ri ritual. Uh, anyways, so what Element is, it's a mix of magnesium, electrolytes, and what it does, sodium, different things like that. What it does is balances you out uh, whenever you are a very active person, if you're sweating a lot, or if you're doing something like fasting, keto, carnivore. I love it when I'm doing things like backcountry hiking or camping or hunting out in a place where uh, I want as much hydration as I can get when water is minimal. 
But that being said, I still drink this stuff every single day. And I love to drink coffee and I do a lot of things that are considered diuretics. So I'm not absorbing as much water as I want, especially in this dry climate up here in Colorado, where it doesn't, it may not seem like I'm that thirsty, but I get dehydrated really quickly. And something like Element has been really, really helpful. So get yourself a variety pack for just $5 using the link in the show notes. All you have to do is cover shipping, but I highly recommend two flavors that are great for the summer that are not in the variety pack. The variety pack is a great place to start to see what it's all about, but pick up the lemon habanero, which is also great to make cocktails with if, you, if you're trying to do something like a uh, like a keto Rita type of situation, or the watermelon, which is just so damn good. Like the watermelon flavor is bomb. They just dropped it for the summer. Highly recommend it, but either way, you can get the variety pack for just $5. All you have to do is cover shipping. If you go to drinkelement.com slash wanders, that's D-R-I-N-K, lmnt.com slash wanders. The link is in the show notes of this show. Just click it, order, get it done, and get it inside of you, and stay fucking moist, baby. On today's episode of People I've Lost a Lot of Respect for in the Past Six Months, we've got Dan Crenshaw on the Joe Rogan Experience talking about conservatism from the 80s as if it was as relevant as ever. So let's just break down this video here. Uh, this is a clip from the episode that just, just, just came out this week of um, Dan talking about <laughs> the problem with stimulus payments. So let's check, let's check this out. The Joe Rogan Experience. But that moment is special because there's value in suffering. And in today's society, we have convinced ourselves that there is no value in suffering, that the entire role of, say, government is to end your suffering. But this is a false promise. Not only Okay, let's just stop it right there and get started here. Um, I don't think that what we have today in America is a lack of suffering. And I don't think that people expect the government to end their suffering. That is a straw man conservative platitude that makes no fucking sense. I would be satisfied if the government didn't fucking contribute to the suffering. I would be satisfied if the government held people accountable that contributed to the suffering of the country. I don't know. Maybe the big fucking banks that crashed the economy in 2008 should have had some goddamn consequences. That would have been fucking nice. But no, we could have bailed out everybody who lost their fucking home. Everybody who lost their home in that 2008 housing crisis. But we didn't. We bailed out the banks because we didn't want to re- didn't want to reward people that lost their home for making bad decisions. Do you understand that fucking logic? Do you understand that? With the same amount of money that was used to bail out the big banks, we could have bailed out every single homeowner that lost their home in 2008. But no, the banks got bailed out and the people got left holding the bag for decisions that were made by the fucking banking industry. And we have someone like Dan Crenshaw, Dan fucking Crenshaw, defending that stance. Give me a fucking break. Is it a false promise, but it will create a weak society that is unable to sustain itself. That's a really important point, and I think there's I think there's deep truth in that. This is why victimhood politics is so dangerous, and I would say populism is too. I I I I think the two are almost indistinguishable from each other. People are always trying to talk about populism on the right and the left, and I say, look, well, here's what populism is: it's telling you what you feel, it's mirroring your feelings back to you. 
telling you what you want to hear as opposed to the truth. <laughs> this is the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Yeah, I, I think that's the a decent definition of populism. You I, think you... If you think that's a decent definition of populism, you have a goddamn learning disability, Dan Crenshaw. I don't like it. I don't like people embracing it. Um, it. It doesn't just mean, hey, things that are good that people are for. Well, you know what? A lot of people are for $1,600 checks that are free. <laughs> that doesn't mean it's a good policy. Right. Somebody who hasn't lost their income at all during the pandemic, who continues to get paid as representative, is now complaining about the government paying people during a pandemic. Let's just put that out there. That's a good example. Right, of people populism. voted. If they voted and said, "Do you want a hundred thousand dollars yeah, for a year?" Totally. Everybody would vote yes. Yeah. Why no, wouldn't you? They would. yeah, but, is, but is it? But is it a sustainable policy? And of course right, not. Of course not. Um, and the, the kind of amounts to the to the I think drastic lurches in you know welfare policy or infrastructure spending and all of these things that that we're seeing. It's populism on steroids. It's telling you what you want to hear. And that's not truth. That's not truth. And we have to get back to truth. And we have to get away from this victimhood mentality where we actually we actually elevate this idea of being helpless. See, that's what's changed. That's what's changed in the last decade. It used to be that, well, you you might feel some shame if you were the type to, you know what, you know what, I just I, I need some help. I feel bad about it. I'm gonna get Bring back, back on my shame. feet, but I need some help right now. That used to be the sort of American way, right? We, we need a safety net. Yeah. Nobody would disagree with that. We, we need a safety net. We need to help people. I want to say this real quick before we keep going here. We're going to play this whole clip. But if you think that people that are poor are not feeling enough shame for being poor, you are so mistaken and so out of touch with fucking reality. So out of touch. Get back to truth. Get back to truth. What, dude, you have the fucking oil and gas companies buttering your fucking bread every day. What incentives do you have? What incentives do you have to get back to truth? Come on, bro. People who have truly fallen on hard times, who lost their jobs because of COVID. But does that also mean we need to provide a $1,400 check to somebody who never lost their job and whose biggest hardship has been Zoom meetings? Of course not. But over 100 million people were getting checks that never lost their jobs. 100 million? Okay, we're going to get into this really quick because they're going to opine about this for a moment, but we got to also keep in mind the logistical problems. Just think about this as we're going into this part of the clip, the logistical problems with finding out who lost their job versus who lost a substantial part of their income, right? Or had their hours cut, right? There are a lot of people whose biggest um, issue was moving to zoom meetings. There were a lot of people who went to zoom meetings and then also lost their job. The logistics of finding out who is what and where, and who is about to lose their job, uh, all these different things made it practically impossible to means test on that level. So, and especially do it in the amount of time that was necessary as if the checks weren't already taking way too fucking long to happen in the first place. So this is another straw man argument. And at this point, this is why I'm losing so much respect for Dan Crenshaw, who's somebody I could have seen myself voting for as a presidential candidate up until about a six months ago when he completely turned into fucking Dick Cheney all of a sudden. And then we, we had the situation where it's like under the government is notoriously uh, inefficient and you want to apply a, an intense amount of logistics to distributing checks when those people who didn't lose their jobs, right? If you didn't lose your job, say you made $70,000 a year in a marketing position and you didn't lose your job and you still got the stimulus checks, which you would have, that's great. Go spend that money somewhere. Go spend that money locally, 
right? And maybe you didn't lose your job, but you got your hours cut. So you had to make up for that with something like credit card debt. Well, you didn't technically lose your job, so you can't go to unemployment, but you didn't get your hours cut and your income was cut and your expenses probably stayed the same. So maybe that $1,400 check for you is a place for you to pay down some of that debt that you uh, uh, accumulated during the time when your hours were cut. Maybe that was six months. Maybe that was three months. Still, those are really important things to look at and really important things to consider that the government does not have the logistics to handle on top of the fact that to stimulate the economy was to give people money that they could spend in the economy, right? So they needed to be have a certain amount of disposable income that was injected into the economy, not just survival income. That wouldn't have stimulated shit. That would have kept people afloat, but it wouldn't have stimulated the economy. People wouldn't be out buying $6 lattes and supporting the barista or going to the bar or ordering food from local restaurants like we like to do here uh, just to keep things moving and to support local businesses. But, but when we look at this whole thing, you're 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 just straw manning to to some some degree that it's hard for me to even comprehend. Easily through it's, COVID, it's, it's, it's way more. It's way more than that. I'm I'm, I'm cutting it off at 100 million. So oh, I'm explain checked. that to me. When we when we send out checks, the direct cash payments. I've always been against direct cash payments. So these the COVID stimulus checks. Yeah. So because they go out to anybody got who makes those checks that didn't lose their jobs. Of course. What? Yeah, if you, the the cutoff was like seventy five k a year, so that means wait a minute, wait a minute. That means every federal well, not so every, people but a that lot didn't of federal lose workers getting any too. money because of the pandemic still got checks. Yeah, these were never these were never based on your situation. That number of one hundred million, I think, is a little bit blown out of proportion. It has it has to be. I would need I would I would be curious to fact check that, but that seems a little bit hyperbolic. What? Yeah, really? It's ridiculous. I didn't know that. I yeah. thought you had to lose your job. I thought yeah. there was a problem. Yeah. Wait a minute. If your so people is- who never lost a penny. So if you look at their 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 tax receipts, yep. you look at their their uh, the, what they made in 2019 right. versus 2020. Correct. If they they didn't lose any money. Yeah. No. They, it, it, it's based on your just just your income. So I think 75k a year was the cutoff. But also if you're a married couple, 150k, and if you have kids, then it's even more. So you've got like so I've got like a lot of active duty military friends, are getting thousands of dollars because you know they have kids and but it's God like for, why and, and they're like why why am I get this is God such forbid. a waste of taxpayer money, you know I mean do your duty no and go go spend it on a local business. Can, can you imagine? Can you imagine if they would have said, oh yeah, by the way, all active duty, duty military is not involved in the stimulus package. We're going to leave. We're, we're, not only do we fuck our military uh, active duty or veterans over um, whenever they get out and they don't have health care and they're you know addicted to fucking Oxycontin, but now we're going to cut them out of the stimulus. Can you imagine what the fallout of that would have been and what the political calculus would have added up to if you would have cut out the entire mil- active duty military out of the stimulus payments? Just, just wrap your mind around that and see how that would have gone. Suffering. The money was allocated to people that lost money because of the pandemic. No, no, no. Because we already have a system for that. It's unemployment insurance. Our our system works fine. Again, if you if you get your hours cut, you do not you're not able to apply for unemployment. And a lot of people lost jobs, got another job, lost that job. There's way too many logistics involved to try to make that work for that. that. And this is this was always my thing. It's like, look, I'm in favor of temporarily boosting payments to those who are unemployed on unemployed insurance. Usually state-run unemployment insurance runs at, it's it's at a formula that would 
that would make sure that you're not making more than you would have if you were already employed because you don't want to have a disincentive to go back to work. Right. What we did in the I look at Dan Crenshaw making the argument for a UBI. <laughs> That's interesting. Initial stages of the pandemic was increased that to 600, an extra $600 a week if you're unemployed. I'm okay with that for a few weeks during hard times. The problem is Democrats want to keep it forever. And now every business I talk to is like, I can't hire people. I, I have so many job openings right now. Can't hire anybody because we still have it. It's $300 a week, but we still have it. It means people are getting paid to stay home. There's a distance They're They're making a purely rational financial decision. But again, I, that's one conversation. That's that's at least a debate to be had, you know, okay. during hard times. But the direct cash payments, that's nuts. That's nuts. What are, what are the direct cash? That, payments? That's the free money. That's, that's the, the free. free money. That's the free money. So this is the people that even though they still make the same amount they made in 2019 yep. and yep. 2020, they got a big check for yep. no reason. Yep. hundred percent. That seems crazy. And that's if well, you lose your job, if you get paid a hundred billion dollars by Spotify, that might seem crazy. That might seem crazy. Over a hundred million people. And they just got it. They didn't ask for it. They just received it. So it's not something they're guilty of. Yeah. Yeah. They just received it. But, but, but it gets to the cultural argument that we're talking about. No, there was no backlash for this. Even on the right. I remember, I remember, you know, I was, I was, I was a little fresh. There was no backlash because it made the most fucking sense in the world. Like if there was backlash to be had, it would have been had, but that wasn't the situation we were in. With the president or, or the ex-president, Donald Trump, uh, the president I voted for that uh, he was, he was pushing for those $2,000 cash payments. I said, but don't I'm you like, think that he was doing that politically? And I didn't vote for him. But that's the point. But don't you think but that that's was the point? That's exactly, that's exactly the point. There's an incentive now to pay people off with their own money and it's not good. Yeah, but, but it wasn't, don't. Are you paying people off with their own money or are you stealing from the rich and giving to the poor? Like which one, which, which, which is it, right? You can't have both. Are you paying people with their own money, which actually makes a lot of sense during a pandemic when the fucking government that you're a part of shuts down the goddamn economy, right? And understand that you weren't for that and neither was I, but are we supposed to just be like, well, we can't work now and we're fucked and we're in debt now because we had to survive for the six months we couldn't work. And then the government is not holding the bag for any of that. They're not on the hook for any of that. Man, this sounds a lot like the American healthcare system to me. This is fucked up. Don't you think that he was in a desperation situation where he just wanted to get reelected? I mean, he's coming through this. This was whole in December. He was already he'd already lost. Oh, so in December after yeah. he lost, yeah. he still. But he didn't think he lost. He, he thought he was still in <laughs> a conversation. I don't he, know that's if you want a to get different. Into it. It's a good conversation. Uh, he thought he was going to somehow or another get reinstated. I don't. I don't know if he ever truly believed that, but um, <laughs> he was pushing for it. But yeah, it is on the on the victimhood side. That's this is the demise of the republic when 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 people are comfortable with being bought off with their own tax dollars and being comfortable even more than that, comfortable with being told that they're victimized and that some other group. Is is responsible for that victimization, right? So it's this not just that they're in a bad situation; they're in a so bad somebody situation. Somebody else someone did it to you, and maybe it's the one percent. Maybe right. it's those those mean corporate yeah. giants, and now those corporate giants are trying to get all woke and get on the Democrats. The corporate giants that pay for his elections. That's good side, like they always do. Yeah, because you know they don't because they want to maintain their little piece of the pie. That's where it gets tricky, right? Where they manipulate the narrative and they they they, they realize where people's heads are at, so they try to jump on board. Catch new ep. All right, y'all. All right, let's let's play let's play with this a little bit here. I mean, what we have here is is somebody who I thought. I mean, I, I kind of thought he, he was a populist, even though now apparently he hates populism. Is Dan Crenshaw cat like just really 
fucking blowing it here. Like, dude, the amount of money that was spent in stimulus money, to direct payments to the people, was dwarfed by the money that went elsewhere. And that the writing's on the wall there. You were you you didn't complain about the amount of money that went to corporations through these bailout proceedings, right? You didn't complain about that. It wasn't about how much money went elsewhere. It wasn't about how much money went to the big business. It wasn't about the amount of money that was paid to pharmaceutical companies for development of the vaccine or secured for that. It wasn't any of that. It was the only thing, only complaint he had in this clip was the money that went to American people, which was not even the fucking majority and was definitely not the priority. That's the kind of people that are being elected. That's the narrative on the right. And then he complains about there not being outraged about it because there was no real reason to be outraged about it because people were barred from fucking working for months. This is some of the cuntiest shit I've ever seen. Like the, the the amount of respect I've lost to Dan Crenshaw over the last six months, and, and he's turned into some kind of like conservative influencer, right? Just like makes really goofy p- campaign videos and like wants to get his friends into politics. Like, fuck you, dude. Like, it, it's it's frustrating for me to respect someone and then have it all get torn apart because their politics are fucking trash. And I, I look at this and it just it just really upsets me. Like, this is such a such a fucked up narrative to say like, well, the the, the will of the people is. It's like kind of important, but like these corporations aren't really bad guys. They're not the bad guys. They're not the bad guys at all. You know, they mean they pollute a lot. Like we we you know we we do as much as we can for them. We we prefer them to normal people in the way that we behave. But they're that's because they're the, they're the good guys. They're the ones that but that's who you need. You need those people for X Y and Z and trickle down economics and blah 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 blah, blah bullshit. Fuck off, dude. I can't deal with this fucking bullshit. Like, this is one of the worst takes I've ever heard. And I listen to Charlie Kirk a lot of the time. Like, if you're if you're being if you're being outflanked by Charlie Kirk when it comes to rationality, you got a fucking problem, dude, because that guy is an idiot. Jesus Christ. All right, Aaron Brockovich is back to work, and if you haven't seen that old movie from like was that the early two thousands or the late nineties, uh, Aaron Brockovich is is quite the activist and quite the bad bitch. So we have this article here from the Guardian saying plummeting sperm counts, shrinking penises, toxic chemicals threatening humanity. All right, the end of mankind. Question mark. <laughs> it may be coming sooner than we think, thanks to hormone disrupting chemicals that are decimating fertility at an alarming rate around the globe. A new book called Countdown by Shanna Swan, an environmentalist and reproductive epidemiologist at ICANN School of Medicine in Mount Siani, New York, finds that sperm counts have dropped almost 60% since 1973. Following the, that trajectory we are on, Swan's research suggests that sperm counts could reach zero by, ni- by 2045. Uh, zero. Let that sink in. That would mean no babies, no reproduction, no more humans. Forgive me for asking why the UN isn't calling an emergency meeting on this right now. The chemicals to blame for the crisis are found in everything from plastic containers and food wrapping to waterproof clothes and fragrances and cleaning products to soaps and shampoos to electronics and carpeting. Some of them, called PFAS, are known as forever chemicals because they don't break down in the environment or the human body. They accumulate and accumulate, doing more damage minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. Now it seems humanity is reaching a breaking point. 
Swan's book is staggering in its finding. In some parts of the world, the average 20-something woman today is less fertile than her grandmother was at 35, Swan writes. In addition to that, Swan finds that on average, a man today will have half of the sperm his grandfather had. The current state of reproductive affairs can't continue much longer without threatening human survival, writes Swan, adding, it's a global existential crisis that's not hyperbole. It's just science. As if that wasn't terrifying enough, Swan's research finds that these chemicals aren't just dramatically reducing semen quality, they're also shrinking penis sizes and the volume of the testes. This is nothing short of a full-scale emergency for humanity. So I bring this up and I bring this to light because this is one of the things that the United States is atrocious at, and that is regulation when it comes to health and wellness of our society. Now, we can talk about that on the pharmaceutical side and how the pharmaceutical industry basically runs the fucking government. We can talk about that with oil and gas and pollution and climate change, things like that. And we can also talk about it when it comes to chemicals that are found in our daily products, whether it be BPA and plastic or things like that. And we don't do a good job of researching and understanding the consequences of our industry. We bow to, as a, as a cool we bow to the wills of industry first before we think about the wellness and, and, and well-being of the society. And I think that's something that's got to fundamentally change. We do not do a good job of this in the United States. And with the population that we have and the impact that we have and the power that we have throughout the na- or throughout the world, this becomes a responsibility that we have just failed to accept. You know, I mean, if you think about the plastic pollution that we have in our on our planet right now, and we still lean heavily on the industry, and a lot of that has to do with oil and gas, honestly, because the oil lobby uh, lobbies for the production of plastic and things like straws and plastic bottles and single-use plastic because that's a byproduct of uh, crude oil. So we we have all this entanglement of corporate uh corporate life and government life and they're just in bed together and the product of their fuckery is is toxicity for the rest of the of the fucking world and to think about this and how this isn't a a public conversation we talk about climate change all the time but we don't talk about this this is sad and to see people be you know impacted negatively by by the containers that they were told were safe to carry their food in to me it is it, sad and I want to bring this to light because this is one of the greatest failings of America in a lot of countries these chemicals are banned in a lot of countries they look at how vitamin D correlates with immune uh, system health and they supplement their food with vitamin D on the shelf so you don't have to think about it that much they take care of that for you because wellness is a priority but in our country sickness is the priority sickness is more profitable than health. And that is one of the things that is is undeniable in the way that we behave, in the way that we behave as a society, and the way that we prioritize our our lives, our political lives especially, and our and this draw towards towards capitalism and, and, and profitability over everything has left so many people sick, dead, and damaged. And it's because of people like Aaron Brockovich and other investigative journalists that we see this kind of thing happening in front of our eyes, but it hasn't changed that much. There's not that much accountability for companies like DuPont, right, who, who, who poison people, who fucking poison people knowingly and just get away with it. Like, that's the society. We, we have such a lack of accountability, and you have assholes like Dan Crenshaw talking about how the poor people need to be more accountable, but they don't do a goddamn thing 
to hold corporations accountable for their fuck-ups. And it makes me fucking sick. It really does to see the way that we cherish our prize pigs as a nation and they get to shit on whatever they want to shit on. That What about that adds up? What about that is the, is, is the product of a healthy nation, of a healthy economy, of a healthy system? And then you have libertarians saying, well, if people don't like how much a company pollutes, they can just buy stuff somewhere else. As if we know. As if it's public. As if we have a good job of exposing those things. You can't even film inside of a pork ranch. Like, that's fucked up. And they're protected. Always protected by the people that we elect to serve us. They don't act like servants. They don't act like employees of ours. They act like people that are operating their own self-interest, just like human nature is designed to make us do. And to circumvent that in many ways, the government exists for that purpose. And they do a shit job in this country of prioritizing the wellness of their nation. And it makes me sad. It makes me sad. And with all that being said, oh, man, that was a long one. My voice is... Is running running thin here. But I think it's time for me to give you something to think about. This is going to be a fun one, y'all. It's going to be a fun one. We're having some construction done at our house. We're putting it, putting in a garage. We have like a carport and a shed. We're, we're getting it all torn down. It just got torn down this last week, and they're putting in a, a, a proper garage, which I'm excited about. I have a little more storage. We have a place to put the car, you know. Um, but the guy who owns the company... Uh, that tore our garage down or tore the shed down and did a lot of the demo around the house because um, there's a lot of things going on. Set and had a fun conversation with him. He's a Mexican guy. He uh, he, he said he, he uh, crossed the border illegally about 20 times, got sent back about 20 times uh, when he start, started when he was about 16. <laughs> and then he married his wife, who was a citizen, um, several years later and became a legal citizen. Now he owns this company, has 50 employees where they do demo. Really nice guy. And we sat and talked for about two hours. We distracted each other from work for a while, but we were just sitting in the backyard shooting the shit. And eventually we start talking about cartels and Trump and the border crisis. And he fucking hates Donald Trump. Hates Donald Trump. And we get into this whole conversation and he starts explaining to me about the, if you think about in the 2015, when Trump was running uh, for the 2016 election, this whole migrant caravan situation, right? Which is kind of dovetailed into the border crisis that we have now, but this migrant caravan situation, um, which Trump really ran on, that was a big thing that he, he positioned himself on in that 2016 election cycle. So, what his idea was, and this is where we get into that conspiracy theory shit. He was like, okay, you have all these people from all these people from Guatemala and El Salvador and Honduras, and they all got together somehow and walked 5,000 miles or some shit to the border. And they were all at different border check stops. He was like, they were no way, there was no way. And this is pretty much proven at this point. They didn't walk that whole way. They were bust, right? They were bust from wherever they were from. They had meeting points and they were bust to the border because they believed that the uh, that America was letting people in. 
So they were bused over to Tijuana, Texas, Arizona, um, these different areas, these different border checkpoints, and it kind of forced themselves on the uh, the border control, and they had to do something about it, created this whole situation. And I was like, yeah, well, I mean, that was pretty obvious. They were bust. If you look at the photos and the videos, like they were, their, their shoes weren't dirty enough to really have indicated that they had walked that far. Um, this whole thing, right? It was a whole deal. And he kind of made this analogy. He was like, all right, if you have 10,000 acres and you've got a few hundred head of cattle on here and you need to get them on the trailer, get them all in one spot, how do you do that? And I was like, well, I mean, you know, you herd them up. Like you would have cowboys, they go do their thing and they, they find the cows, they herd them up and they get them all in one spot. He was like, exactly. He's like, that's what they did in these uh, South American countries. They would pay off the radio stations to tell people that America was letting people in through the border and to meet at this certain place. There was going to be buses there to pick them up, and they would have people preparing the route for them as they went forward with food, water, uh, places to sleep, etc. So they were busing these people up, and they had these meeting places, and they did that for a few weeks or a month. And the reason that he understands this is because a couple of the guys that work for him came up to the United States in the migrant caravans. They were breaking it all down for him and let him know what exactly went on. So we go to this whole thing, and it's pretty clear to see they're bust, the whole thing. Then he explains to me that what he thinks and what everybody who was a part of that caravan thinks is that it was actually Donald Trump who was organizing the migrant caravan to the border so that he would have a villain to run against and a position to use to build the wall. And he would run on that hard and become the president of the United States, which he did. So his belief, and now, and this makes too much sense to me, was that Donald Trump engineered the migrant caravan to give him a policy point that he could run on to become the president of the United States. And to me, that makes a lot of sense. But if nothing else, at least it's something to think about. I love you guys. Thank you all so much for being here today. I feel like we did all right. An all right show. Probably wasn't the best, but we're doing it. If you want to be a part of the Politically Homeless Patreon community and get an extra show every week that is crowdsourced from the Patreon for the Patreon, hit that link in the show notes. Until next time, keep your head on straight. Much love. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.